The Athletic. Totally football show. Today, League Cup semi-finals, transfer deadline day. Chelsea spending money like they're in government to have a mate who fancies making PPE. We sort through a big midweek of headlines and look ahead to a busy weekend with Chelsea Fulham. Will Enzo's debut go better than Zhao's? Everton, the roll of the dice against Arsenal and Spurs Man City. All that and more in this Totally Football Show. February 2nd, 2023. Good to have you with us, listener. Your ears were just what we were needing. We've got that Duncan Alexander with us. Hi, Duncan. Hello. Also joining us remotely from the north of England, Carl Anker, live in Manchester. All right, Chuck? Ahoy, hi, James. Yeah. And uh, from the New York Times, howdy, Rory Smith. Yeah, I was, I was wondering what you were going to go with for, for a Yorkshire greeting. I suspect it would be, all right, love. Is that... Nice. I like that. This is love country. We're very affectionate people in Yorkshire. Well, that's true. Among the many qualities of people from that fine region. That and working out how many Olympic medals they'd have if it was a country. Yeah, that is. We are continually working out what things would be like if we were a country. And the overall conclusion is better. (laughs) Right. Well, yeks it. It's going to happen. Let's talk about something. Is it the Premier League? Is it League Cup semi-finals? Or is it... The football topic that's got everyone a chattering in the last few days, the transfer window and that record-breaking deadline day. Have you seen the figures? Duncan, have you got the figures? I've got the figures, yes. £275 million was forked out on deadline day. That's insane, isn't it? Total spend across the two transfer windows regarding this season £2.7 billion now. That is almost 50% up on the previous record season, which was just before that pandemic. So much to take in. How are you feeling? Excited, depressed, bewildered? Carl? Nervous. We definitely had some thoughts that the World Cup would have a very strange effect on the January window, putting people uh, in a certain certain shinier gloss. But I don't think anyone expected a a gentleman who hasn't played 70 club games to to go across as being one of the most expensive football players of all time, quote-unquote merely because they were the best young player of Qatar 2022. It is faintly absurd how much money the Premier League has compared to the other leagues. But hopefully, now the Premier League spent all that money, the other leagues can have a decent summer window as well and get some levity. Is that mm. too much to ask for? Have some of our change, rest of the world. Yeah, <laughs> 85% of the Premier League spending has gone uh, outside the confines of the United Kingdom. Rory, you were in Qatar. Uh, what did you make of Enzo Fernandez? Do you buy that price? Yeah, I think Enzo's brilliant. I think he's a he even before Qatar, you could tell you know he'd started brilliantly at Benfica. I think with a fair wind, he will probably be one of the best midfielders in the world for the next ten years, and that that is great. He's a lovely player to watch. I think paying one hundred and seven million pounds for a twenty-one year old who, like Carl says, has not yet played a hundred senior games is nuts. I think I saw it being dressed up as a great triumph for Chelsea, which I think is odd given that they just paid the release clause. They. They, they got this great. They walked into a shop and paid the asking price. Well done, everybody. I don't know. I I found the whole thing quite obscene. Not just Chelsea, just the general spending. I find it really odd that that to some extent a lot of the coverage of all this is still breathless and childish. And isn't it exciting when it is fairly obvious now that this is a 
that this is this is a real problem for football in a number of different ways. And yeah, it's great. Chelsea fans will be really excited. They've got loads of great players that they signed. The, the whole thing leaves me cold and troubled. Oh, is it a problem for football in other countries, but not so much here? I think it's a massive problem for Europe um, and beyond for South America. Carl's completely right that, that there is a there is a trickle-down logic to football. And if you speak to people at at the kind of traditional selling clubs, people like Club Bruges or Ajax or, or Benfica, a great, great example, um, they will tell you that that money from the Premier League is kind of what they need to keep their models going to allow them to find the, the next Endo Fernandes, the next Darwin Nunez, the next Angel Di Maria. And this, that's something that I think football needs to be a bit more conscious of because there will be more, there, there are always more players. There'll be more mm. players along next year. And it may well be that some of those players that Chelsea have signed, all of whom look excellent, maybe in, in, in 18 months' time, there'll be somebody who they think is even better than one of right. those and they'll, they'll have to go and buy them. Right. And these but players think, will be off on loan somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, just saying that, you know, there was this pandemic, which was a, almost like a mortal hit to a lot of the, the football around yeah. Europe. And the fact that there is one league that not only survived it but seemed to come out of it in even more robust uh, shape is at least a kind of what do they call it in economics an accelerator for the football economy as a whole yeah you, there is that argument and I think you have to be really conscious when bemoaning the Premier League's power to, to remember that a lot of the European clubs are reliant on that money basically particularly particularly in the Leeds outside the, the the big four on the continent where the TV rights are still quite healthy. You know, if you're Dutch or Portuguese or Belgian, you need the Premier League to win and buy your players. But I think the the disparity between the Premier League and everybody else is incredibly dangerous. I think for all the, the energy against the Super League, what, two years ago, that the idea of a continental Super League is now essentially inevitable. The Premier League is leaving them with no choice. I think for the Premier League itself, it's not necessarily healthy. Javier Tebas is not a reliable witness necessarily, but... Um, He's made the point that you are that the lead is funded by losses, and it is. And at some point, if the shareholders who are backing those losses walk away, then everyone's got a massive problem. And the final thing, and I think this isn't made enough of generally, there is absolutely no glory in what any of these teams are doing. The glory in this situation belongs to Benfica. Benfica deserve huge credit for going and getting Enzo for 18 million euros, plus the 34 they now have to give River Plate as the sell-on finding a, a gem of a player and then making a massive profit. That is a test of your, your club's institutional strength. What Chelsea and the others in the Premier League do takes very little skill. It requires absolute... It's not a test of sporting merit in any way. You are celebrating rich people being able to buy things. And if that's your thing, great. But I, it doesn't really do it for me. All right, Benfica, of course, have previously pulled that trick off with Jao Felix and a, and a number of other players. Duncan? I mean, Benfica did once sign Brian Dean from uh, from England. So, you know, <laughs> things times change. I mean, no more so than the fact that Bournemouth are essentially, you know, can outbid all the big... You know, I remember watching Serie A in the 90s, presented mm. by some guy. Some guy. And, uh, and you know, these clubs, the idea that Bournemouth, yeah. Steve Fletcher's Bournemouth, would, uh -huh. be, would be more financially Fletch. powerful... Was unthinkable. And right. I mean, right. well, Mil Milan are, are still licking their wounds from the fact that they they considered going for Nicola Zaniolo at Roma and couldn't get close to the wage packet that Bournemouth were offering. Just couldn't get anywhere near it. That That is the reality that we're in. And that has a, that has a knock-on effect for the Premier League clubs as well because there is nobody to sell these players to. Mm. You t if it's Of the all the players that Chelsea have signed, and they all look quite sensible... A couple won't work out because that's football. Right. There is no market for them. There mm. is no one in Europe who can afford them. So you're either going to have to do a Jorginho, sell them to a rival, or you're going to have to swallow the wages and pay them to play for but, somebody else. But isn't that what we used to see in Italy in the 90s was that only 
other Italian clubs could buy those places. You did see quite a big sort of market between the big clubs. Maybe that will be more common going forward in the Premier League. I think it probably has to be. Jorginho-esque yeah, moves, you think? Mm. Yeah, mm. and th- 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 that's absolutely right. I think the difference now is the scale of disparity between the leagues. So, so when Milan went through that phase in the late nineties of buying everyone who played well against them, do you remember that, James? No, yeah, yeah, very they, much. That so. was that was their that was their their recruitment strategy. They signed Andreas Papa. Anderson. Yeah. Not even pa- I'm not even thinking pa- the level oh, okay, of Papa, right. like like the rubbish ones for Rosenborg, right, who they right. thought, right, we better buy but them. A lot of Italian clubs would do that. I mean, Inter were the same. I mean, yeah. that is generally what a lot of clubs do. I mean, if you ever do. see it signing, look up his last performance against that club. Oh, look, he was man <laughs> of the match. Darwin Nunez. Bet, is Cristiano Ronaldo, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah Darwin Nunez, yeah. Yeah, yeah Darwin Nunez, yeah. The, anyway, but, yeah, I'll, the, I'll put the, you down for depressed then, yes? Despite all of this. I think there is a point at which you don't have to, as Duncan says, yeah, you either have to see, you'll see them selling to each other a, bit, a lot more or they're going to be swallowing, swallowing the wages. Mm. He's right that Italian clubs used to do it. But, you know, back then, Lazio could break the world record for a player and then shift them onto Valencia. That wasn't impossible. Whereas now, unless PSG want them, like Hakim Ziyech, randomly PSG want, there's no, there is no one who can afford them unless they fancy a move to Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Well, they must say popped up with uh, quite a lot of significant business. But, hey... I take your point, Rory, and my uh, boyish enthusiasm for who everyone got for <laughs> Christmas on, on Tuesday has been suitably dimmed. Well, may, maybe touch on some of the big moves, the, the, the Jorginho's, the Pedro Pojos, the uh, mm, Marcel Savitzers as well in the course of today's show when we talk about the football. But one of the big questions coming out of Tuesday was how was particularly Chelsea's spending possible? They spent more in January, almost 300 million than the 78 clubs in the Bundesliga, La Liga, Serie A and Liga put together. Incredible. How is that possible? Would we'll explain. Here is lecturer in football finance and author of The Price of Football, Kieran Maguire in a bubble bath with a glass of champagne. Kieran. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for the invite. Looking forward to this. Ah, good. All right. Now, you're about to literally go into a lecture hall and lecture on football finances at the University of Liverpool, which is your day job. Are the students going to be asking you about Chelsea? And what will your answer be if they say, where is all this money coming from? What percentage of their revenue is that? Well, um, if, if we take a look at Chelsea's revenue for, for last season, it was around about £430 million. So they've effectively spent in a single season 150% uh, over the course of the last two windows. Right. Wasn't FFP about not spending more than 100% of your revenue? FFP is about uh, linking spending to revenue. But we then enter the, the world of accounting. And, and it's more Harry Potter than Graham Potter in the case of Chelsea. In the sense that if you sign a player, uh, that the cost of the transfer fee is spread over the life of the contract. So if you sign a player for 100 million on a four year deal, it works out as 25 million a year. And this is a process called amortization. What Chelsea have done is they've said, mm. well, if we extend the life of the contract, we reduce the cost in each year's accounts. So therefore, by signing Fernandez on an eight-year contract, that cost goes down from 25 million a year to 12 and a half, which means that you can sign twice as many players. Very smart. Is there a risk in doing that? And why aren't other clubs doing it like <clears throat> Liverpool? 
Well, there, there, there is a risk for, for two reasons. First of all, although the accounting spreads the cost, you've still got to go and pay for the transfer itself. So you physically need the cash. Now, many, many deals will have been done on instalments, but then normally you're looking for a fairly big deposit. So you do need cash. And secondly, I think, as, as you intimated, that there is a risk because what happens if the player is signed? If you're signing a player on, on a big fee, they're coming with big wages. And Chelsea is now locked into, as far as Fernandez's contract, he's on the payroll on the 30th of June, 2031. Now, I don't know what I'm doing next Friday. So heaven knows what I'm doing on the 30th of June, 2031. And, and they've got that with Fernandez. They've got that with Mudrik. Uh, yeah, Fafana's on a seven-year deal. Cucurea's uh, on six. Um, if those players don't work out, how are you going to shift them? Because finding somebody else willing to match Chelsea's level of wages is a real struggle. And we all remember the story of Winston Bogart. We all remember Nikola Zigic at Birmingham, who was on big, big money in the championship. You know, Jack Rodwell at Sunderland, Jamie O'Hara at Wolves, when these clubs dropped into League One and they were on Premier League contracts. And that was for two or three years. Well, if you extend that to six, seven, eight years, can you see that there's, there's a potential huge legacy cost as far as Chelsea are concerned? Although Chelsea fans would probably be reasonably confident that relegation would be an issue for them. But how much will it matter if they don't make, say, the Champions League this season? Well, when Chelsea won Champions League in 2021, it generated €120 million Euro in prize money alone. Now, I appreciate that that was a, uh, a lockdown season. But in normal circumstances, you're looking at you know, six home matches, so you can make three to four million every home match. The sponsors will pay you bonuses. Chelsea then went to the World Club Championship and won that. They got extra money. So Champions League is, is really important because for every one pound you generate in the Champions League, it drops to 22 pence in the Europa League and 11 pence in the Europa Conference. So that's why we're seeing the money spent, because six into four doesn't go. And we've had six trying to get into four spaces for the last year. How many years? We've got Newcastle new to the, new to the game. Seven into four makes it more difficult. So the solution, as, as far as Todd Buckley is concerned, is let's spend our way into a Champions League place. Big gamble. Certainly is. Kieran, enjoy the bath and thank you so very, very much. Thank you. Mm, more Harry Potter than Graham Potter. Nice. Ken Maguire there. All right, well, we'll have ample opportunity to discuss how it all fits together for Graham uh, in the course of today's show. Let's get a quick check on the weekend's fixtures, which begin, actually, with Chelsea on Friday night, taking on a Fulham side who, of course, beat them 2-1 just a few weeks ago in that tremendously successful Jean-Felix debut. Chelsea currently 10th. Fulham, 7th. That's Friday night, as I say. Saturday, sees Sean Dyche debuting at the club the transfer window forgot, Everton, as they host a first-place Arsenal. <laughs> Elsewhere on Saturday, you've got Brighton-Bournemouth. That's the all-South Coast affair. Man United taking on Palace. Brentford against Saints. Wolves up against Liverpool for the third time in a couple of weeks, really. Villa up against Leicester. And at tea time, Newcastle-West Ham. Two games on Sunday... Forest leads and Spurs against Man City. All right then. 
This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Chelsea Fulham. Who wants a bang on how Graham Potter gets this lot together? <laughs> uh, I want to ask a thought-provoking question to Chelsea fans out there. Now they've got all these extra tools, is Romelu Lukaku a more viable striker for next season? Mm. Ooh. Mm. What, why? I mean, in theory, you've got someone like Mudrik and Kuku and others to, to sort of spin an orbit around Lukaku, who is not a target man, but often likes interchanging passes with wide forwards who can quit quite nippy and running behind along with him. There is a version of Lukaku that can be quite good at that. I'm not sure if that version still exists, considering how bad this year has been for him. But, I mean, hmm. hmm. Mm. Chelsea need to get something around like two... I I mean, I'm only the son of an accountant rather than a proper one who has a green visor, but I think they need to get 200 million off their wages somehow. Uh, And the most obvious way to do that is to move on uh, Oba and Lukaku. But maybe stranger things have happened. A long silence after after that suggestion. <laughs> yeah, I I kind of see what Charles getting at. Like the, the the players that you put around other players change the dynamics of everything, and that is the one spot in their uh, their absurdly mm. over inflated squad where you think actually that's the one thing Chelsea don't have. Mm. Maybe they're kind of they're trying to buy everything to to replace you know the the missing piece of their heart. But Ooh. I'm not I'm not sure. I'm not sure that, that football... If football should work like that, that someone right. should look at that and think, do you know what, actually, Romelu Lukaku is just about the right sort of profile of play that we need to fill this this one thing we don't have. Let's see if we can get him back and get him get him, get him fit again, because he's obviously a, a top-class player when he's when he's at his best. But football doesn't work like that, so that what they will do is they will pay him to play for Inter Milan. That, that mm. is how how this, how this that will go. So, um, but I, I can't, for the life of me, my among my many, many deep-seated objections, is I cannot for the life of me work out the strategy behind the players Chelsea have signed. Okay. So well, I, what, what is a noni madueke and how does it fit in? That would be my... my you know, there's, there's no real... It's really hard to see the kind of over... the plan of what they want the team to be short or long-term with these players. Right. They've already used more players than any other Premier League side this season. Uh, 29, 73 changes to their starting 11. They can also only register three of their eight January signings to play in Europe. Duncan? No, I was just thinking the idea that the most expensive player in British transfer history can unlock the third most expensive player is uh, it's quite, an, <laughs> quite a neat conclusion. But I mean, just on Enzo Fernandez, I think him and Mudrick should combine pretty well. Fernandez had mm. the most Sort of successful switches of play in in the Portuguese league this season, so he's very good at sort of dropping or being deep and and hitting those balls that should. And we saw Mudrick at Anfield, and you know if he can get that service, I think he's going to be going to be great. It, you know, putting aside all the all the uh, off field stuff, it is going to be quite exciting to see yeah. how how this team plays. I mean, we've seen glimpses so far. I mean, you know, they've got in a couple of games, they've got Jao Felix to come back as well. So <laughs> um, it's going to be it's going to be fun. I think. I mean, it kind of this season for Chelsea reminds me. If you go back to two thousand three, when Abramovich took over, they had the first summer where they bought a lot of players. Some of them worked like Damian Duff, but there were a lot of um, a lot of players that didn't like Mutu and Crespo was good, but he didn't stay there long. 
it feels like last summer was that window for the Todd Bowley era and they've kind of fast forwarded to 2004 obviously when Mourinho came in they did bring in a lot of players to into this transfer window so they mm. you know you feel like a, the the biggest losers possibly at Chelsea are the the players that signed last summer right yeah well, yeah, what Chelsea what? supporters. To just a very briefly in Chelsea, Chelsea supporters who who've been kind of told by everyone that you know the good times are over when Abramovich was was removed from the system. Now now with an owner who's spent a quarter of Abramovich's total outlay of what was it seventeen years in the space of just just a few months at at a club that when Bowley, Ed Barley, and the rest of the consortium bought it had been losing a million pounds a week for twenty years, backed only by Abramovich. That's the other big question that Kieran obviously talked about the amortization and stuff of the deals but they they still spent the money whatever the account whatever the accountancy kind of says whatever's in the books they still have to give that money to those clubs and they'll be paying for most of those players in two maybe three installments and it tends to be front-loaded so you know Shakhtar will have will command the bulk of that fee initially and then there'll be a couple of smaller installments to come that will limit their spending I think in the future, does the, you still owe a lot of money? What, if it, what no, no matter how much you amortise it, you still owe all that money. They kind of need to be right on a lot of these, because otherwise mm. they do they do have a problem. I agree with with Duncan that Enzo and, and Mudrick both look like really good signings. But what does it mean for like Raheem Hudson Sterling Adoy. and Hudson Odoi or Loftus Cheek or Carney Chukwemeka? Like what what happens to them now? They've mm. just been you know they've had six months and they've just been kind of right. You're not you haven't worked immediately, so off we go. It feels there's a lot of those, you know, there's a lot of kind of conventions in football that, that maybe if you're an outside investor, you look at it and think don't make any sense, but they probably exist for a reason. One of them right. is you don't want like 10 players hanging around thinking, I don't like it here, this is terrible. Can he loan them to, to Bayern Munich, perhaps? I wonder. Might be the solution. Chelsea are 10 points off the top four, which mm-hmm. we, as we were mentioning, would, would be a, a very handy. Uh, thing to be in come the end of the season given their their outlay of late do you see does anybody see them getting three much needed points friday it's not an easy one fulham are fantastic at set pieces their corner kick routines are are among the best in the league peter rutzler wrote a fantastic piece on the athletic explaining the corners that marco silver was a little bit annoyed about um and for all of the new players that have come in Chelsea's defending that isn't done by Thiago Silva is a little odd. Koulibaly is a player in particular who started the season strongly and just has not looked like Koulibaly anymore. Badia Shield should help, but um, it's no it's no guarantee Chelsea are going to waltz this game. Fulham or not, the Fulham of 18-19 and other quote-unquote weirder seasons. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being a score draw. Oh. Are you anticipating seeing any of the new signings in the lineup Friday? I would think Mudrick will start. I would think probably they'll put Enzo in as well, I imagine. But yeah, I've chosen to just call him by his first name. That's <laughs> that's my way forward. Um, yeah, I agree with Carl. I mean, this this very 2-2-y sort of game. This. I mean, obviously right. Fulham beat them a few weeks ago and that's a that's a massive result for Fulham. They re- that's the, you know, it's a result they really care about. I mean, they haven't won at Stamford Bridge since Graham Potter was four and a half in 1979. Really? Um, when an era when spending a quarter of a billion pounds on players was uh, was looked down upon, I believe. <laughs> so um, it's going to be. It's a. I mean, you know, Sky must be rubbing their hands at this. This fixture's been been arranged for Friday night because I think a lot of people will be interested. Mm. I was at um, I was at the Newcastle Southampton game on Tuesday, and 
the press boxes in James's Park, you're really low down, you're right behind mm-hmm. the managers, which meant that I could see that when when something happens that Nathan Jones doesn't like, he jumps up and down like Yosemite Sam. <laughs> uh, and he has a very similar silhouette because he wears those very skin-tight leggings. Mm-hmm. And you can see that sort of level of detail that really provides you with top-class soccer analysis. Um, <laughs> but the other, the, the, the other striking thing was that halfway through the first half, Alcaraz, the kid that they signed from Argentina, who'd had a terrible first 25 minutes, he was at fault for both goals, didn't track his runners, clearly didn't really know where he was meant to be playing. He kind of came across to, to Nathan Jones and in, I imagine, a mix of English and Spanish, basically said, what do you want me to do? Where am I meant to be playing? And it just reminds, I think it's worth remembering that, that, that modern systems are quite complex and players have very specific jobs, very specific roles. It's not, no matter how good you are, and obviously Enzo and Mudrick are higher level than, than Alcaraz and higher level than Southampton, it isn't, it isn't immediate that you understand exactly what a manager mm. wants of you and precisely which responsibilities are yours in the various phases of the game. So I think Chelsea will have to be relative, relatively mm. cautious about how many new players they throw in straight away just because you need to have some sort of cogency between, between the individual units. Be an absolute Graham Potter power move to pull in like two kids from the youth team just because you know he's been working with them for a couple of weeks right. he could even put in Hakim Ziyech after his trip to Paris did you see that mm. he did a Udin Wingy with PSG he was there Tuesday night and apparently they PSG failed to get the correct forms in but four times Chelsea did I think oh it was Chelsea, Chelsea. Chelsea. Well, they're Chelsea. saying that they didn't. It's still hilarious that, you know, such huge mega money deals are reliant on people being able to attach stuff to emails or on that sort of thing. Obviously, David <laughs> De Gea failed to get to Real Madrid because of a fax machine issue. I mean, I, I love the sort of the combination of, you know, high end transfers and really basic admin. <laughs> Good. <clears throat> All right. Well, that's Chelsea Fulham. Dawn of a new era. Uh, beginning of the Enzo, perhaps. We shall see. Saturday, early doors. The big game is Everton-Arsenal. Let's talk about that next. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Live Score Bet, the home of squads. Squads is a weekly free-to-play game. You reveal five players across the week which make up your squad, and you can earn cash each time they score in the selected games. The cash amount is decided by Live Score Bet's prize wheel and can range from 10p up to £50 per goal, which you can spend once the final player is revealed. Find out more and play squads for yourself for free at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the Live Score Bet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only and full terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Would you like to reach hundreds of thousands of athletic subscribers? <laughs> Who wouldn't? Our lot are great. They're intelligent. They have demonstrably long attention spans for all of those long reads. And that means they're almost certainly the ABC ones you're looking for. Imagine your brand front and centre on the Totally Football Show. Or Talk of the Devils. Or Football Clichés. You can advertise with us now. Our highly skilled and effortlessly charming commercial team are waiting to hear from you, whether you want a single ad on View From The Lane or full title sponsorship on our Women's World Cup show. We've got something for everyone. Contact partnerships at theathletic.com. That's partnerships at theathletic.com.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. challenge ahead but one that I'm ready for one that I want to take on and looking forward to hopefully playing my part in realigning things you know from starts it starts in a weird way off the pitch actually you know getting a feel of the group I've got to learn about the group going onto the pitch I know about the fans that's for sure and how precious this club is to them and showing them that we're ready to work and we're ready to give them what they want and certainly that starts with sweating the shirt bit of effort bit of feel and getting back to some of the basic principles of what Everton Football Club, in my opinion, has stood for for a long time. Woo! Been longing to hear that noise back in football. It's the sweet sound of Sean Dyche awaiting his first game in charge of the Toffees. The only signing they made, but hey, maybe the only one they needed. What do you think, guys? Everton taking on league-leading Arsenal early on Saturday. It's not going to be a good watch. Right? No? If, if you're Sean Dyche, you've not really got any new signings in. You're in a relegation scrap and you're against the top of the league. That man is going to hunker down and remove as much entertainment from this game of football as possible in an attempt to get some form of point. Uh, and it will be a nutritional bit of football. Uh, and, and I think the big, the biggest amount of entertainment will most likely come from from the interviews with the managers afterwards, uh, or unless you know one of Arsenal's many, many, many now exceptional attackers can find a way to break down what I'm expecting to be a very, very deep, deep um, defending exploit from Everton. Mm. I'm glad I'm glad Sean Dyche is back. I thought it was a little bit too obvious that he would secede Frank Lampard at the start of the season, but hey, sometimes the pipe is just the pipe. <laughs> well, uh, wise words, Carl, whatever they might mean. Rory, <laughs> you know Sean Dyche. Uh, not, not. Like we're not, we don't spend social time together. But yeah, I've, I'm, I'm, I've spoken to him on several occasions. All yeah. right. Do you, do you think he is the only signing they need without having spent any of that uh, Anthony Gordon money elsewhere? Is he enough? I think he could be. It's a really sensible appointment, and it's not. It, Everton sort of oscillate, don't they? So it's a really sensible appointment for the next six months, certainly, possibly for the next eighteen. Beyond that, you worry that perhaps Everton might feel that the kind of progress that Deitch will go for, which is. I'm not, not talking stylistically, but steady and sensible and perhaps a little bit cautious in terms of growth. Um, that's very much Deitch is not the sort of manager who's going to say, like, Fahad Mashiri, give me £250 million, let me see what I can do. Um, I think Deitch believes in coaching players, believes in, in organic development. I'm not sure that Everton necessarily always have the patience for that at boardroom or terrace level. Um, but I think for the time being, he is exactly what Everton need. He certainly improves their chances of staying up. It's a bit of a shame that he couldn't bring in one or two players, I think, just to just to refresh the squad, just to kind of put 
he kind of needed maybe a couple of trusted lieutenants almost, players that he he could be absolutely sure would do exactly what he needs and he's spread his message got to the rest of the squad. He's got Tarkovsky. Well, he's got, he's got Tarkovsky's Keen. there. <laughs> and Keen, um yeah, that, that might be enough. I do wonder whether maybe one or two would have been helpful, but then Everton left it very late mm. to make a very obvious decision, so that's not really Sean Dyche's fault. Fair enough, fair enough. How worried should uh, Arsenal be with their five-point lead? They've won none of their last four Premier League trips to Goodison Park. Well, yeah, and as Charles says, obviously he's not. Charles not pitching for a job as the Sky promo guy, but <laughs> although it's the BT game, isn't it? As the, as the BT promo guy, right? But the was it the Arteta Ancelotti game when they were both mm. new in? Everton they weren't. Arsenal? They hadn't been appointed. They were in. It was one Within of the, the games where it was a caretaker against caretaker, but they were watching on in that and classic that, way. That was also a twelve. A, it was a, a lunchtime Saturday yeah. kickoff, I think, and it was perhaps the worst game in Premier League history. Really? <laughs> There's a Charlton Till game in 2004 that I will insist to the end of my time that it is worse. <laughs> but yeah, you're right, that would definitely make top three. Although Arsenal might be able to uh, deploy some of their new weaponry. Uh, for example, Jorginho or Trossard, who's new-ish. Mm. Yeah. The Jorginho move. Some people say it's a transfer that suits everyone. I was a little bit perplexed by it. I mean, it was a good option B, wasn't it? When mm-hmm. when Caicedo didn't was never going to work out. So I think it it makes sense in the sense that you know Arteta likes him as a player. I think he does offer something that Arsenal maybe need. I don't think he's going to be what, a starter. What's that? Well, I mean, he's you know in a deep lying position. He he can bring control. I mean, a lot of Arsenal fans I think are worried because his form this year at Chelsea has been down from the previous seasons, but. You can easily say that's a, a wider Chelsea issue than a, than a Jorginho issue. But I think, obviously, Arsenal have had mixed um, fortunes from signing players from Chelsea recently. Like oh, you, Willian. Is Willian, is, Willian the, is yeah. the one. But, I mean, this is an 18-month contract. He's a he's a really good pro. I think it's... To bolster the Arsenal squad for the run-in, I think it's a it's a pretty sensible signing. OK. Uh, mm-hmm. I, think it cover, I think it makes very clear that Mikel Arteta did not enjoy Lokonga in his FA Cup appearance against Manchester City, there were two or three times in that game where you could see Odegaard and others, you know, doing the, the Nathan Jones thing of, right, do you know what you need to do in these phases? Uh, and, and Sambi now has gone over to Crystal Palace on loan um, as a sort of, ah, right, he's not up to Arteta grade title run at the moment and you need someone to just get you over the line. And I think, yeah, both him and, Tr- both Jorginho and Trossard are those get you over the line, hopefully, for Arsenal fans to get that Premier League title. I enjoyed the fact that um, apparently Arteta's personal intervention was crucial in, in getting Jorginho over the line because Arteta apparently really admires Jorginho as a player. Mm. And it's really hard not to think that he does that because Jorginho is the closest thing there is to mm. Mikel Arteta, the player, as the Premier League has been able to offer. Especially late era Arteta. Is mm. just what mm. That's just what... Jorginho does and so it's Arteta's clearly looking at him and thinking do you know what I was pretty great and that guy's a bit like me yeah so, I, yeah. I admire that good at pens can control him in field you know exactly what you're going to get from his hair every week yeah exactly right. it's similar huh well with well with Jorginho and Trotard coming in at Arsenal and with City not bringing people in but losing João Cancelo who was pretty much the most permanent fixture in Pep's lineup certainly through last season. What does this mean for that 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 title race and, and Arsenal's five point lead? How's, how does the balance swing? Do you think it, it doesn't help City because Cancelo, when he's playing 
to his best, which admittedly he hasn't done this season, although he still has been a pretty regular feature of the team. Um, I think he's played more than any other defender for City this season, but that could be wrong and I will bow to, to Duncan on it. Um, I think when Cancelo's at his best, he's one of the one of the best five fullbacks in the world, as previously discussed on the Totally Football Show, mm. um, to, to no great consensus as to who the other four might be. <laughs> um, he's not played that well this season he's not been at that standard and there are you know it's become clear that he's not necessarily someone that Guardiola wants to have around if he's not particularly happy that is important but the th- the whole thing with City for a while now has been that their squad is quite small it's incredibly high quality but it's not big and it does it does raise the prospect less so for the lead and more for the Champions League that they they look like they might be vulnerable to a couple of injuries to be perfectly honest that if you got a couple of key players who were out not not in kind of you know year year you know not ACLs or Achilles that, mm. that go and that they're out for a year, but you know you lose a couple of players to hamstring injuries for three or four weeks. Right. There's not that much depth at City. They are still more than capable of winning ten games in a row and really putting the pressure on Arsenal. Particularly does I think at the current rate those ten games would include playing Arsenal twice, mm. which would cut the gap. But I think and and I think that losing Cancelo doesn't mean they they can't do that. They can still go and win ten games in a row. I wonder whether they might regret it a little bit come the Champions League semi-final. Wait, and I wonder if Haaland's going to miss those those wonderful balls that that Cancelo is able to to drop onto him. Rico Lewis, it's a huge amount of responsibility for him, eh, Carl? Absolutely. Um, uh, Michael Cox wrote a great piece saying Rico Lewis looks to be like a, a laboratory-made Pep Guardiola-style fullback, uh, and I eagerly await him being included in one of Gareth Southgate's England squads that is just all of the right backs. One day, um, but yeah, I, I totally agree. This this would be really really interesting in, in in the Champions League in particular. Cancelo got his first assist for Bayern yeah. Munich yesterday, being that, Wednesday. They utilised him on the right flank, and he assisted with the inside of his right foot. I was like, "What is this? The nineteen nineties? A real throwback." He he is going to be one of the best fullbacks in the Bundesliga. He's going to make the Bundesliga look quite easy, I think, with the amount of space available to him on the transition attack. This is, it just feels like an unnecessary bust up between a player and a manager at an inopportune moment. And I just can't, Pep Guardiola does this uh, mm. and, and we've spoken before in previous seasons, you know, Fernand Torres made it very clear that he didn't want to be a bench player for Manchester City and, and Pep went, okay, bye. Uh, and then after uh, victory over Tottenham Hotspur, Pep Guardiola went on that very interesting little it's not quite a rant. Throw the gauntlet thing, and he goes, "Mr. Cancelo, mm. Mr. Cancelo," mm. uh, and call that Nathan Ake as well. Of just being, you know, some of these players needs to buck up their ideas, and I think Ake will do very good and will cover, but Cancelo's gone, uh, so it will be big responsibility for everyone involved. I wouldn't be surprised if Ake now plays at fullback more. I'm still not quite sure. John Stones's injury status here as well. So, yeah, it's all we could be heading for sticky. The ultimate luxury fullback of Phil Foden filling in for a game at left back, which would be. Uh, I wouldn't hate it. I wouldn't no. hate it. Interesting. It is, of course, Spurs that Man City faced this time round. That match, as you mentioned, saw Pep speaking out angrily after what was an extraordinary second half turnaround when, after trailing 2 0, they scored four unanswered goals to uh, take home the. The three points and, and and whip up a bit more enthusiasm amongst their fans. They'll be at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium this time around. Antonio Conte won't be though because, as Spurs announced, he's he's had his gallbladder out, it, it surgically removed, like it was 
Matt Doherty or something. <laughs> yeah, he's had a difficult few months, Conte, and it's probably important to remember that mm. amongst all the, you know, why isn't he doing this with Spurs? And, you know, why aren't his Spurs... You know, do, does does Conte's vision of Spurs match with Daniel Levy's? Like, they are humans and they, they go through stuff. It's, you know, it's only a few weeks since Spurs... Since Conte lost a, like, a, a valued member of staff and a close friend. So there's, there's kind of human stuff that we should remember as well. Um... But not having him on the touchline from a football point of view is is a is a blow for Spurs because Conte is an elite manager and he is the sort of person, especially against the Guardiola team, who will see trends and patterns and switches of formation quicker than most other people because he is Antonio Conte. Mm. Um, so Spurs could do with him back, but only when he is fit and well. And also, weirdly, Guardiola has lost every game he's played at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Really? All four. Yeah, it's the, it's the uh, away ground he's managed at most without ever winning. So... I don't know whether it's the NFL pitch underneath the turf. Some, <laughs> something's not right for him. So, I mean, Spurs, they could, yeah, they could keep that up, perhaps. Okay. Anyone want to give a uh, a mark to Spurs for their transfer business? Dan Juma, who we had already seen come in and score, and now Pedro Porro. Yeah, Carl and I contributed to a round table on mm. The Athletic this week. Um, we weren't actually sat around a table, spoiler. Um, and I actually gave Spurs... a pretty good score because well, I think yeah uh, well not an actual score like a theoretical yeah. hunch score thumbs but, up but I think it's two signings that should help them a lot in the next few months I think right. Poro will um, is he two footed probably yeah <laughs> okay. I, mean, I mean he's strong with his right obviously but like I think he is a sort of wing back that actually could get Tottenham playing a bit more like an Antonio Conte team mm. okay and Dan Juma he is very two footed right um, and you know we saw him at, caveat it was away at Preston in the FA Cup but he came on and scored and, and looked sharp so yeah I think Tottenham did what we can call a classic January window where they identified a couple of spots that they needed strengthening they brought players in and we move on um, obviously in the new paradigm of, of Chelsea that that goes under the radar a bit but yeah I think it'll I think it'll be good. Mm. Carl? Yeah I think it is a, gen- a good January transfer window and you address some areas of need, but you still haven't addressed the biggest one, which is you should probably get a central midfielder who's good at passing the ball forwards. Uh, but that, that's, a, that's a summer problem, I think. I, I just can't believe Emerson Royale has won the battle of the Spurs right-backs. <laughs> Honestly. Mm. Do, they, do they lose points for not realising that they'd hit the loan limit and therefore having to release Matt Doherty? I think it feel, feels like that, that should be like a... That's, that, mm. that's a con. I mean, I think a few clubs did that, didn't they? PSG had to, for Navas to go to Forest, they had to make uh, Ander Herrera's move permanent. Mm. So I think, I do, I, again, I quite enjoy clubs not quite knowing mm. all the regulations, being like, what? Oh. Our facts works, that kind of yeah. thing. So yeah. busy doing World Cup stuff, you forget about other stuff. So. Yeah. Who sees Pep continuing that miserable record that, that Duncan mentioned away at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Sunday at four o'clock? It's difficult to say for certain, isn't it? Because, mm. yeah, his record at Hasn't Spurs is awful. Yeah. And, yeah, <coughs> famously is on Sunday, not now. Um, but his record at Spurs is bad. Spurs are quite, good at, are quite a good team. They're tough to play. But at the same time, City are better than them. So so it feels like you kind of want to say, well, actually, you're right. For all the historical antecedents, City should probably win the game. Mm. Mm. But, they, but City haven't been that... Well, convincing consistently this season. I think I th- also, now we've reached February, we are now in the proper sort of ding-dong, two teams going mm. for the title process. So Arsenal mm. play first on Saturday. Ah. No matter what happens there, they win, that's more pressure on City. They lose or drop points, 
that's still pressure on City that they've then got yeah. to go and do something at Spurs. Oh, so I think I we are now reaching the proper, like, you know, like Liverpool and City did on that run in a few years ago. It's like, who blinks first? I also think mm-hmm. we're going to see more of Manchester City play a 4 4 2. This has okay. been first mooted by Musa Wango just when uh, Julian Alvarez came and going, oh, Pep's developing a plan B in the corner for Champions League games to just clobber knockout games. And I think there will be two or three Premier League performances where partway through Manchester City will bring on Alvarez, go to a 4-4-2 and just stomp on teams in a quite frankly unfair account. It, it's quite nice. So in, I think it was in 2017, Lyft, the, the rideshare company, mm-hmm. invented this thing where they, they, they'd have a, like a vehicle mm. and it would drive along a set route mm-hmm. and it would pick up people along the way. <laughs> mm. And then it would drop them off at their destination. That's a bus. And they, they, yeah, they 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 marketed this as like a new thing, but it, what they invented was the bus. That's like mm. the tunnel in Las Vegas, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And, I, and I like I like the idea that um that Pep is thinking. Do you know what we could do? We could play two strikers. No one's ever done that before. So I'd like I'd quite like it if Pep invented the four four two. All right. And a long ball up to them from the keeper. Perhaps. Yeah. Is this going to be a good game, Carl? Can we watch this one four o'clock on Sunday? Yeah. yeah. 4.30 I'm, on Sunday? I'm, I'm not going to the cinema at this point in time because I'm in, going to be watching this game instead. Okay. What were Earlier. you going to see? Yes. Uh, I, I originally planned to watch Tar uh, on okay. the Sunday. Has anyone seen it yet? Duncan, you seen Tar? Rory, no? No. I've seen After Sun. Has anyone seen After Sun? No, but that sounds quite good. I'm more tempted by that Thumbs up tar. from Jimbo. Okay. It will stay with you. Oh. Okay. It'll stay with you. Like a suntan if you don't use after sun. Yeah. Mm. Very, very much so. Or even longer. Forrester taking on Leeds earlier on Sunday. Rory, are you excited about that? Yeah. I mean, it's a classic from back in the day, isn't it? It's a brilliant Premier League fixture. Yeah. This is although, what we want. Although we haven't had it in the Premier League since, well, I mean, for over two decades. So Yeah, and ironically, it's a brilliant Premier League fixture that was a Premier League fixture for only a maximum of seven years and then was, was explicitly not a Premier League mm. fixture. And it was yet a somehow one still, fixture at one point. Still feels like a Premier League fixture. And I don't know what that says about people in their 40s, but it's definitely something. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, what would you like to say about the, the last time actually it was played in the. Premier League was 1999. Forrest lost 3-1 at Ellen Road. Producer Ben has written in to say, Mr. Oizo's flat beat was number one that day. Perhaps more pertinently, mm, uh, Brennan Johnson's dad, Andy Johnson, was playing up front that day. That's not the same Andy Johnson out of Charlton, is it? No, there's lots of Andy. There's that Andy Johnson. There's the Charlton... And there's also the penalty mm-hmm. winning Andy Johnson as well. It's a very right. Yeah. Is is Johnson yeah. in 1990s British football the equivalent to Martinez in mm. 2020s <laughs> British football? Where there, there are so many of them, it's right. really hard to remember which one's which. Has Martinez surpassed Triori now? Yeah, there was the, there was the Cisse phase. There was the Triori yes, phase. Right. Um, but I think that there are now lots and lots of Martinez. I'm reminded by um, by Duncan choosing to call Enzo Fernandez Enzo. Mm. There are also quite a lot of Fernandezes. It feels mm. wrong putting an apostrophe at the end of Martinez when I'm going Martinez's. Like, no, yeah. no, I just want to. Not as bad as the apostrophe at the end of Samueletto. That's an absolute killer. Yeah. Oh that's yeah, a, that's a nightmare. Truly yeah, a nightmare. Mm. But that's only, that's just in, the English language is very cumbersome and unwieldy, whereas Spanish is elegant and would, mm. just, would, would put the, the de beforehand. It's much easier. Um, uh, no, I'm excited. Else is cumbersome and, and unwieldy, and that's Forest Squad. <laughs> <laughs> do you not think, do you not think that 
that amongst all the transfer nonsense, mm. th there is an element of of lottery about it. Does Kaylor Navas on loan from PSG to Nottingham Forest might be the most absurd set of words I've ever heard. Why well, have they signed Kaylor Navas? I mean, because Dean Henderson is injured Forrest, for two games. Forest have finally signed someone who would talk about the European Cup more than them, which I think is good. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have laughed. I'm sorry. Uh, so yeah, Forest with a lot of players there for Steve Cooper to uh, to mould once again into a team. What was it? Five five fresh faces over the January window, was it? Yeah, possibly it to twenty eight for the season. Possibly yeah. even more. That there's still a couple of free agents that have okay. been um, rumoured to, to to be linked to Nottingham Forest. Uh, Steve Cooper. There, there could be more signing Steve Cooper after the League Cup semi final defeat was asked about Andre Ayew, who is now a free agent, and said, you know, I'm not in for us being linked him. And mm. Are you what, interested? Which which man, did the thing managers always do, where they say they're not going to talk about a player directly, but blah, 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 blah. I think this person's quite nice. So, But what, what, this is, I mean, we, I realise we touched on all this at the, you know, the start of the season, but there was a point at which it looked like Cooper was starting to, mm. to forge aside from all those many varied signings. It's mental that they've gone and signed another five. Well, it's just the as you touched on a minute ago, really, the, the the randomness of it as well. Like John Joe Shelby and Kaylor Navas mm, and Chris yeah. Wood and Gustavo Scarpa all in the same window. I mean, Danilo. Yeah, it's, I mean from Palmeiras, it, not that Danilo. It yeah. could work. Yeah, I mean, I think Steve Cooper is a is a brilliant manager, and I think that he's shown you know the fact that Forrest, you know, lower mid table now is testament to what he's done, but. Yeah. Might it be easier to integrate these ones now that there is the kind of settled yeah, structure I, of a side I, to insert them into? I think Morgan Gibbs-White being injured is the biggest mm -hmm. issue. He's right. been, been genuinely brilliant this season and, and without him, they do lose a lot. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> they've got a chance of staying up, which I don't think people a lot of people thought in sort of September. So. Mm. Okay. When, when Chelsea play Forest, will that be the game with the largest proportion of tickets afforded to other squad members <laughs> in Premier League history. I'd like two of those, you know, like a regulation Premier League game and a plate game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, yeah. where the fringe yeah. players can also have a go. That'd be yeah. quite a nice idea. Forrest are currently 13th, leads three points behind them in 15th. Both sides have a record of scoring goals and conceding plenty too. So this might be one to avoid the cinema for as well, Carl. Mm -hmm. Oh, you saw Forrest already once this week, of course, uh, Carl, in a match which uh, featured uh, a couple of goals, both scored by Manchester United in the second leg of their Carabao Cup semi-final. Let's move on to the Cup semi-final second legs and Man United and Newcastle next. We're sponsored for this episode of The Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. It's your perfect teammate, the Sutton to your Shearer, the Heskey to your Owen, the Mane and Firmino to your Salah. Whether you're selling I belong to Jimbo t-shirts or Max and Barry half and half scars, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. 
And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Newcastle advancing, Lockstar! The local boy is the local hero! Yeah, League Cup semi-finals, second legs this week. Newcastle on Tuesday, 2-1 winners against Saints. Rory, you were there. Sean Longstaff with a brace. Uh, Man United a day later booking their place in the final, which will be in kind of late February, a little bit later on this month. They were 2-0 winners against Forrest. That's what, 5-0 on aggregate. Anthony Martial with a goal and also Fred. Oh, it's going to be the same two finalists as the FA Cup of 1999. We were just talking about 1999. Mm. First ever United v United League Cup final. Is that right? Mm. For Suffolk fans. I like it. <laughs> mm. Mm. Uh, it's United's chance to claim their first trophy in six years as is popularly known, it's a bit longer, the wait for Newcastle. But uh, let, let's talk about Man United first of all. Uh, they're at Palace. No, they're at home to Palace. That's uh, three o'clock on Saturday. Only a couple of weeks ago, Carl, these two teams faced each other in the league and it was a 1-1 draw. Do you want to talk about that? Do you want to talk about how well you think Sabitz is going to come in? Uh, the impact of Eriksen's absence? Uh, you... Off you go. Yeah, I, I was present for the one-all draw. That was okay. I think the big the big carry on from that was Casemiro getting suspended in the latter stages, which had the knock on effect of the Arsenal game, and then just a spectacular free kick from Michael Elise to equalise things late on. Um, United will be different because there'll be no Christian Eriksen this time, and Zabitza was still not quite sure if his visa paperwork's been approved or whatnot. Uh, 
or whether or not Ten Hag wants to throw him in immediately. I think Ten Hag said he wants a couple of training sessions already. In regards to the League Cup, the big thing was Jaden Sancho returned. It was his first mm. appearance in a Manchester United shirt since the 22nd of October uh, and a one-all draw against a very different-looking Chelsea side back then. Um, Sancho played as the number 10 in his 30-minute cameo rather than play on the flanks. Uh, I asked Ten Hag about this and he said, one, he thought Bruno Fernandes just offered it a little bit more uh, on the right-hand side as a variance to Anthony, who is very left-footed. He is sometimes just nice to have a proper right-footed guy who wants to whip it across. Uh, and he also said he was interested to see what Sancho offered in collaboration with Antti Martial ahead of him. Uh, Ten Hag said something I quite enjoyed where he said Sancho will be better, or he hopes Sancho will be better in this part of the season, because now United are just a lot better at playing closer to the opponent's goal. They just they can sustain pressure a little bit more, which is manager speak for we've got Casemiro now instead of McFred behind us, and that means we can all be better. Um, so this will be a decent ding dong. I'm not quite sure if Sabitzer will start. It'll most likely be Fred and Casemiro again, which is uh, like eating Rivita without any toppings, shall you say? Okay, is it? It's fine. It, it, it gives you the nutritional content you need, but. Maybe you want a little bit more pizzazz. Does does Casemiro not offer a bit of topping himself? He does, but he has to uh, older brother Fred in a way that uh, okay yeah. If if you have a friend and they have a younger brother, and every now and again they go, oh, I'm sorry, I have to bring my younger brother with me. Oh, well, right. This is just a lot less interesting mm. now. Uh, that that is what that Casemiro Fred partnership can be. Um, with Palace, I'm I think I'm not sure on the injury status of Wilfred Zaha, which. Might take a rung off their ladder, but if as a starts, I mean that's not a downgrade now, is it? So yeah, should be a decent one. Crystal Palace have a pretty good record against Manchester United Old Trafford recently as well. Mm. So uh, not a foregone conclusion. It's also uh, one of those rare times where Manchester United are playing at three o'clock on a Saturday, which just didn't happen too much in recent United, seasons. United indeed have only won one of their last five matches against Palace, drawing two and losing two. Of the other four, you mentioned crosses coming in from the right from Brunfranonge. And how about that extraordinary Trevella effort? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the second goal, I think it was on, on Wednesday. Yeah, he did one in the first half as well. He, did was, he? he was spraying the ball around. I mean, he looks revitalised. I mean, Carl will, will know this very well, but like every post-match interview, with a, it doesn't matter if it's Ten Hag or a player, they just keep saying positivity, togetherness, morale over and over again. I'm thinking, what changed? What did change? Yeah. If only there was some mm. significant event that had happened mm. just at the time when they started getting results. Anyway, mm. there mm. you go. Well, that's Man United against Palace. Meantime, Rory, you went to see Newcastle's 2-1 win over Southampton on Tuesday. What are your thoughts ahead of their clash with West Ham, which is Saturday yeah, it, tea time? It's, it's obviously... A huge thing for Newcastle to, to be back in a final, to be back at Wembley, to to be within 90 minutes, maybe 120 in penalties, of of ending their trophy drought, which runs back to 1969, mm-hmm. I think. It's a long time. If you're measuring it in Ozil's, it's it's a, it's five five times since Mesut Ozil signed for Arsenal. How long so was that's, that? That's, How long ago was that? Was that? Ten, 10 years ago. So that's that's many, many years. And that's a big thing. Like the, I always think with the domestic cups that they need, you need teams of that level 
to make the finals? Does that they're the teams that lend mm. it meaning? Does it, re, you know, if it's Man United against Man City or Chelsea or Liverpool or Arsenal, or whoever, those teams always have something else to to focus on. It's always an oh yeah, and we did that. Particularly the League Cup to an extent the FA Cup as well. Whereas for Newcastle, this is probably to a lot of the fans it will be of equal importance to making the Champions League probably more to mm. win a trophy. Um, it is potentially huge for them. They were brilliant for the first 30 minutes against Southampton. The second goal in particular was was beautifully worked. Mm-hmm. You're kind of reminded um, again and again of, for all the moral questions over Newcastle, for all the fact that they have spent a substantial amount of money on that squad. There's not many players in that team who were there before the takeover. There's still a few, but you know there's been a lot of change, a lot of churn. Eddie Howe, without question, has done a, a brilliant job of coaching some of those players into into something that they weren't before. Launched that's a great example, Joe Willock, um, Almiron, Joel Enten, you know, the, the coaching that Howe has done is, is, is testament to, to him and his staff. The other thing with Newcastle is they're not nice. And no. I, I mean that in the, in the nicest possible way. In the last two minutes, I think Alexander Isak went down with a suspected head injury. Southampton were two one down. The game was basically over, and St James's Park was just sort of thinking, "Oh yeah, do you know what? They need to score twice to force extra time. We're probably okay here." Isaac went down. Jason Tyndall, Howe's assistant, held the physios back from going on too quickly. <laughs> Said, "Look, don't go on straight away. Just just wait there. Wait until the referee calls you." Graham Jones, I think, encouraged the player who was due to come on, who I think was Jamal Lasell, not to get changed too fast. Because you don't, you don't want to make that swap too early. And then they took off Jacob Murphy, who'd only just come on, but happened to be the player standing furthest away from the from the touchline, who then walked across the pitch to waste as much time as possible. And it was it was a masterful use of all of the dark arts to make sure you get, get what you wanted. To be honest, there was no real risk that Newcastle were getting knocked out. So they've got real grit to them. They've got some players who were, who were playing kind of clearly playing for their futures, so they want to be part of the project. They've got some really good players, Bruno Grimarais, will miss three games in the lead, but will be back for the final. Um, Isak gives them something different. There's a power to them. They're a big team. They they will go to Wembley capable of beating Manchester United. I think they, they stand a very real chance. Those two teams are... Man United will be the favourites, and they are on paper better than Newcastle. But Newcastle are absolutely not a pushover. All right. They've also got a keeper who's only conceded one goal. Uh, that wonderful 25-yard strike from Shea Adams on Tuesday in the last 11 matches. Remarkable stuff. They don't have Chris Wood anymore. They've got Anthony Gordon, though. We'll see how much uh, impact he has. West Ham arriving at this game, which is the one signing from the January window, and that was Danny Ings. West Ham got a win, should mention, back on Monday. They beat Derby County 2-0 in the FA Cup. That huh. means they'll play Manchester United in the next it's round true. as well, because mm. it, yeah, that that's how it's the, cup draws It's the Man United's now. next cup opponents derby. Indeed. Indeed. That's Indeed. very true. Um, Man United, West Ham in the cup reminds me of, well, what was the goal? When Bartas put his hand Obviously up. doesn't remind you of it very much. Yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> Was it Decanio and Bartas put his hand put up? Put his hand to, up, yeah. Yeah, yep. to try and distract him and he just rolled it in the net. Nice. All right. Newcastle are third on 39 points. West Ham are not. They're 16th on 18. <laughs> 21 points of difference. Yeah, West Ham's chances at Newcastle? Slim? No. No. As, no. as Rory's pointed out, Newcastle right. are now... They're mastery of the dark arts. Just, they're just deeply frustrating to score against. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, you know, the ball's in play for maybe 15 minutes during games. They are fantastic in <laughs> midfield. I think Joe Willock, this is going to sound like an insult, uh, Joe Willock is beginning to play like a store brand version of Jude Bellingham in that he's... Kind of sounds like an insult. In in that he's got... He's very, very effective in effective midfield play. Perhaps he's not affecting the final third as much as you want to, but the other midfield stuff he's very special at. And also he's got that thing of particularly tall midfielders have where he takes two steps and yet somehow has managed to walk 10 yards, which is oh. very, very pleasing. Um, Paul Pogba also had it where it looks like they run through wormholes. He's just a phenomenal pressing midfielder. And I think he, he makes a, a team that at points look very workmanlike look a lot more impressive. This Newcastle team aren't going to let you score through the middle. You have to be very creative out wide. And West Ham... Hmm. I'm not sure so, if they have it yet. But the so, thing is that, that, that Newcastle don't score many goals. That's the one thing. And I, I think yeah. West Ham will be rel- relatively resolute. So although I think West Ham's chances are slim, it could be that if you can nick a goal, then you can get a point. Hmm. Well, oh, at St. James's Park? It's, the game is at St. James's Park. Three, of, three of Newcastle's last four games have ended 0-0. So mm, they've had fourth the season. It'll be four or five, you feel. Is that right? Have I added the numbers uh, up right? It could yeah. be another of that series, is what we're saying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay. I don't know if hmm. Isaac's head yep. was a concussion, which means he'll be out of this game. Yes. But it, I do think he off, he does make them play a lot more expansively. He's a okay. But the, but the challenge player. that the challenge that Howe's got is that his team's been relatively unchanged for this great run, and that makes sense. Just Newcastle have been one of the stories of the season on the pitch again. Moral asterisk. The at some point he might have to make them a little bit more expansive as teams shut up shop against them they'll find goals harder to come by that'll cost them points he'll have to find a space for Isaac for, for Anthony Gordon potentially as well that might come at the cost of the solidity that, that Carl was talking about they are, mm. Newcastle are horrible to play against and that's brilliant but there's a balance I guess to between destruction and creation Okay, well, Bruno Grimaraes has helpfully freed up one space in the side for the next three games, as you mentioned. Earlier on Saturday, uh, we should touch on one or two of the other games uh, happening there. You've got Brentford against Southampton, which looks like a tall order for Southampton. Uh, Luckily enough, they just brought in the tallest player in the Premier League, Paul Onuachu, bless you, uh, who is, wow, six foot seven. Six foot seven, two two metres and one centimetre tall. He scored one of the most... uh, undignified hat-tricks <laughs> you will ever see in your life when he was playing in the Belgian leagues. He's 27. Why undignified, Carl? Oh, it, it's it, a power league-esque. And I mean that as an insult. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, he's 27 years of age. He's, he's going to turn 28 quite soon. You hope. Uh, All right, sorry. And, well, at least uh, yeah, he's still And it's one of those things, of, if, if you're still playing in the Belgian leagues at that age, something's, something's up. He is well, you know, sometimes people slip through the net. Um, Maybe he just really likes it there. Maybe. He's, he's... Oh, I'm going to be really mean, and I hope this is taken better than what I'm about to say because I right. covered Southampton for a bit, and I, I yeah. think I still know Southampton play. Um, this gentleman's bust potential is quite high. Uh, Everything's I, quite high. His bust, his yeah. chest, everything. <laughs> uh, I, I understand. I understand that you know the, the, the football and logic of you've got James Ward Prowse who's very good at crosses, and that's getting a six foot seven man who can attack the ball that way. But right. I, I, they, they, they are desperately missing goals at Southampton. I watched the last mm. twenty five minutes of the League Cup game against Newcastle, and they were just pumping in crosses towards mm. Dan uh, Newcastle. Dan Burn, right? What, what, what are you, what are you doing, Nathan right. Jones? Yeah. 
I am You've got a forest of Ents up there now. <laughs> I am I am slightly <laughs> perturbed by what Nathan Jones is trying to do in a coaching sense. I don't quite understand right. how Southampton want to attack. Uh, Sudamana, Sudamana, is that what I'm saying? Yep. Yes, mm. Sudamana has come over from Ren, uh, who is very very raw on his day. Looks like an absolute world beater and can dribble his way through a tiny forest thing. of Ents. Yep, there you go. Uh, but his 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 final ball can be quite erratic. Uh, if you remember Christian Atsu when Atsu was playing for Newcastle and Bournemouth a bit like that of I have no idea what that final ball, third ball is going to be like so alright uh. but sometimes football's quite simple so what Southampton have done is they've signed someone who's really fast yep. and someone who's really tall yep. both mm-hmm. of these things are, are good traits to have in football so it is slightly <laughs> it, there's a kind of alright that'll do let's see if this works element to it the one thing that is a massive positive for Southampton is that they were really good when Romeo Lavia came on. Yes. Mm. He he is probably the key. Lavia, yeah, I'm, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Man City activated that buyback clause on Lavia sooner rather than later. And also, uh, if they don't, he's going to cost 60 million plus yeah. one day to the next Premier League club that comes to buy him. Wow. Probably Chelsea. There you go. Someone made the joke, so I didn't have to. <laughs> Southampton are going to be at Brentford. That's at three o'clock on Saturday, so you can't watch it. Uh, same time for Villa against Leicester. And Wolves Liverpool, we've seen, we've seen plenty of them of late. They had those uh, FA Cup games, the controversial first one, which Wolves should have won, and the second one, which Liverpool did win, 1-0. That was in the Cup. In the league, Liverpool, of course, haven't won a single game in January. They lost to Brighton, they lost to Brentford 3-1, and they drew with Chelsea. Is that going to continue that run Away to a wall side who not only have been looking significantly better under Lopetegui, but also have been out and signed themselves some players too. They've got six new signings. Acuna coming in, Pablo Sarabia as well, uh, Craig Dawson, Mario Lamina and João Gomez. Ooh. Yeah, they, they needed reinforcement wolves. The, the, the squad had started to look really stale and that, I think, mm. had been a problem for Lopetegui. As well as Bruno Large, obviously cost Bruno Large's job. They, I think, they they looked like a club that needed new blood. Um, they won't necessarily all start against Liverpool. I think João Gomez in particular will probably need a little bit of acclimatisation time coming straight from Flamengo. But they, it gives them a freshness, which is what they've really been missing. And fortunately, playing Liverpool at the moment appears to be the easiest game in the Premier League. So this is probably quite a good game to 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 bed your new signings in. To be honest. Wow. Yeah. Just the one signing for Liverpool that was Cody Gakpo, and a lot of uh, discussion about how how well that money was spent. Sorry, Duncan. I was just saying Liverpool with Canati injured as well. They're going to have a rare um, Matip and Joe Gomez central central defensive partnership, which is, I think only been used a couple of times. So that's you know something else I imagine Wolves will try and exploit. Okay, Brighton against Bournemouth is also on at three o'clock on Saturday. Could feature Casado, of course, because, you know, after declaring that he didn't want to turn out for Brighton anymore and uh, being removed from training, essentially, by the club, he's 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 back. That's a bit awkward, isn't it? I think Brighton releasing a statement saying he's, he's, Casado's going to be kept away from training until February 1st was quite clever. Took the initiative mm. away from Casado, stopped it being a players on strike and just made it very clear that, no, that's going on. Um, Bournemouth... Sneakily, have had quite a nice transfer window. I know it is still very weird to see Bournemouth compete on the same level as AC Milan and all other top teams in, in Serie A, but they they seem to have spent well 
theoretically. I have no idea if all those players are going to integrate themselves and, and play good level Premier League football immediately. Who do they get now then? They got about 14 players from Lorient and they signed... <laughs> are they worth tri- it? That's the question. Nice. They, <laughs> they signed... Traore from Sassuolo yes. and a Ukrainian defender who I'm, meant to, who, Ooh, who I'm meant to have heard of but right. I haven't um, they, good lord the thing is Bournemouth have added as Charles says they've added a little bit of kind of relatively relatively youthful youthful players which is good because it retains sell on value they presumably wouldn't all object if they had to spend that season in the championship um and it deep, deepens the squad. But I think ultimately Bournemouth would have taken the position they're in now mm. at the start of the season. They are in with a shout of staying up. They're in the mix. They, are, they, they were always in a struggle against relegation. There was never going to be a world in which Bournemouth just sailed to ninth in the Premier League. I suppose you might have said the same about Fulham. Um, they are in the mix to stay up. And that is where I think Bournemouth well, we said would, it would have been more than happy being. Right. We are in, I think, for one of the best relegation battles for a long time. And I think, mm. you know... Teams like Bournemouth, teams like Wolves have. Your Bournemouth, your Bournemouth, your Wolves. They've bought well, and it might work, it might not. But you've then got Everton, yeah. you know, in very much a different situation. I think it's set up to be an absolutely brilliant. I mean, that's the months. thing. Bournemouth only goal difference behind Wolves, and on the wrong side of that dotted line. But Wolves have beefed up and have got Lopetegui in. Everton behind them have Sean Dyshified. So yeah, worries for some of those clubs. Even you know West Ham, Leicester. Mate. Yeah, Leicester. Yeah, I mean you, you could go on. Mm. Anyway, crikey! Well, be interesting to see what the weekend brings in that and the other fixtures. Monday, we'll return with our roundup on it all. For now, it's many, many thanks to Carl Anker, Rory Smith, Duncan Alexander, special guest producer Jesse, and you, listener. With your cosy ears. We'll catch up with you soon. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for the Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.